Well, I invite you to turn to our, our passage this morning. Uh, if, you want to, if you have the bulletin, you want to turn over to page 3. Uh, or if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. <clears throat> We've been working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, hearing uh, Paul describe his interesting relationship with the Corinthians and all its ups and downs, and in the midst of it, show us more about uh, who God is and what his gospel is all about. And this, this passage is no different. 2 Corinthians 2, let's go ahead and read 12 through 17, uh, the very word of the Lord. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and spreads through us, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray for God's word. Lord, would you use your word? Would you send it forth in clarity? Uh, would your spirit and power, uh, Lord, make it come alive in our hearts and, and do your good work of growth uh, in us? We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So for many churches, this this time of year is annual meeting season. Churches large and small having their annual congregational uh, meetings. Uh, if, if you wanted to be a bit cynical about it, you'd call this the, the Christian version of a pep rally. Uh, you know, you, 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 you hype all your victories of the past, and then you, you kind of get the troops all excited about the battles to come. And um, Okay, that's a bit cynical. Um, Anyway, okay, so imagine you show up for a congregational meeting. Uh, and, and you're, you know, okay, you, you know how this works. It's a little bit of pep rally, okay. And, and the, the leaders up front uh, start saying things like this. Well, in order to get ourselves ready for the year ahead, what we're going to talk about is how weak we are as a church. How inadequate we are how how insufficient we are for the week ahead uh, for the year ahead uh, our greatest strength in the coming year our weakness what what would you be thinking what, 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 what kind of congregational meeting is this is it is our church in trouble okay change the change the picture uh, one of the things that I sometimes have opportunity to do is interact with um, with churches that are looking for pastors. I, I serve on the, uh, the Presbytery's Candidates and Credentials Committee, and so one of the things we do is help new guys coming up, but also help guys that are they're searching for, for pastors and help, to, help them in the process. And, 
And so occasionally I'll interact with these committees and as they're looking for the, the guy. And, uh, okay, so imagine, imagine you're on a, a search committee like this. Uh, your, your pastor is just retired or is going to retire, and, and you're looking for the new guy. You're looking for the guy who's going who's gonna to lead the church into, into the, the next generation. Um, what, what kind of person are you looking for? What, is, what does that guy look like? Uh, could, could you put words to it? A lot of times these search committees actually write things out. And, I, and I've seen some of their job descriptions, some of their, you know, here's who we're looking for. And, and it's interesting. A lot of times uh, the, the focus is on things like this. Uh, someone who has some experience, accomplishments. Uh, someone who's highly gifted. Someone who's highly productive. Someone who's greatly inspiring. Um, so imagine someone applies to your search committee for the job, and, and they say, well, you know, if you really want to understand who I am and who, who I'll be as a, as a pastor in this congregation, uh, what I want you to picture is picture me as a defeated soldier, as someone who's just been conquered in the battle. That's, that's me. That'll be me at work. What would you think about a guy like that? Would you, would you hire him? Would you call him? You might be a little worried about him, and certainly not one of them maybe as, as pastor in your church. Okay, change the setting one more time. Let's go a little bit more ordinary. Uh, the, the kind of the everyday Christian life, right? And, and believers in their, in their work as, as believers, just doing everyday Christian things, but wanting to, uh, wanting to be an encouragement, wanting to be used by the Lord. Um, a, a Christian parent hoping to be an encouragement to their kids, uh, wanting to lead their children well and inspire faith in them. Or, or maybe it's a, a Sunday school teacher praying for little ones. Uh, or maybe, maybe it's you as a Christian friend and you want to you wanna really encourage that person going through a hard time uh, to, to hold on to the Lord. You know, maybe it's you as a, as a witness. You know, you know that your neighbors, uh, they know you're a Christian, or your coworkers, they know you're a Christian. You're thinking, I want to be like the best example of, of Christianity to them. Um, okay, so what does, what does a, a, a Christian in those kinds of settings look like? Uh, what, is, what is a good, useful uh, believer ministering to uh, kids or friend or witness? What, what does that person uh, look like? Um, what does it look like to do it well, uh, to really be useful in those settings? Uh, I, I wonder if deep down we tend to think that the, the useful Christian there uh, has some of the same qualities that we think of as the, the good congregational meeting or the, or the good pastoral candidate. Uh, I wonder if we think in terms of categories as well, you got to be gifted. You got to be capable. You got to be accomplished. You want to be strong. You want to be inspiring, um, right? You, you want to see. You want your kids to see that you, you kind of got this Christian thing mostly together, and you want your neighbors to kind of see that you, you you're you're doing it and it looks good. And um, but then along comes the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about his work as a as a as a believer. His work as as, as one who serves, as one who hopes to have an effect uh, in, in God's kingdom. And Paul emphasizes the exact opposite qualities. 
in our passage and in throughout 2 Corinthians. The very opposites of the kinds of things that we tend to, in our minds, gravitate towards. Paul talks about weakness and insufficiency and inadequacy. And he talks about them in his own ministry as if those were his greatest strengths. As if that was at the core of what it was to, to be a good Christian, useful Christian in the hand of God. As if that was tied into what the gospel was really all about. So it kind of gets us thinking, could it be that kind of deep down our, our notions of the Christian life are, are off kilter? Our minds go in, in, in directions that don't always match what the gospel is really about? Or if you looked at the, the, the title for the sermon this morning, you could, you could call it the, the unexpected value of insufficiency. The unexpected value of insufficiency. Um, or maybe you ponder this quote. I, I heard this quote this week, and it's just really stuck in my head. Some of you know the name uh, Alistair Begg. He's a, he's a preacher, has a church out in Cleveland. I was listening to him comment on this passage, and he said this. See if you can take this in. It is not possible to show yourself brilliant and to show Jesus to be wonderful simultaneously. Say that again. Think about this. It is not possible to show yourself brilliant and Jesus to be wonderful simultaneously. All right, let's, let's, try, to, let's try to ponder all this. We're going to talk about the, the picture of a gospel servant, the character of the gospel message, and then some implications for gospel uh, service. And, uh, and, and, and kids, if you're following along... Um, Today's a great day to draw a picture. And I'm actually going to tell you what picture to draw in a little bit. So you got a few minutes to, if mom has a piece of paper or a pen to draw on the bulletin or something like that, I'm going to tell you what to draw so you can get ready. Okay? So, picture of a gospel servant. Remember, Paul has this strained relationship with the Corinthians. And, and part of the problem is that there are these other leaders who have come in, and they're challenging Paul's authority. Remember, Paul calls them the, the super apostles. And, and part of their argument to the Corinthians is, Paul's not impressive. Paul's uninspiring. Paul looks so weak. Unlike them, of course, they're, they're super. Uh, but, but Paul, look, he's so, he's so weak. He's so uninspiring. He's so, uh, right? Can you really trust him? And this is actually a very powerful argument, especially in the context of, of Corinthian culture. Uh, Corinthian culture very, very much like our own culture. A very high value placed on accomplishment, uh, on, on appearance in the midst of, of all of that, right? Think social media, think, you know, like Instagram or Facebook. You put your, you put your best face, you put your best accomplishments. I heard a, a historian talk about, uh, about the Corinthian culture, and he was saying one of the things they held in Corinth uh, was a, a version of the Olympic Games, uh, it wasn't the Olympics, they were called the Isthmian Games. But anyway, same kind of thing, kind of Olympic Games. But one of the events in, in, in this Corinthian Olympic Games, right, on, on top of the, you know, the running and the wrestling, they had an event for public speaking, for, for oratory. You, you get the gold medal for oratory. And you had these guys 
who were all oh, they were all fancied up on the outside, and their and their speech would match, right? This this well polished, highly motivating. It was you know the kind of thing you put on on social media and get all kinds of hits, you know, and they get the they get the gold medal. They they win for. Uh, for, for oratory. That was the kind of thing that was seen as impressive. And along comes the Apostle Paul. And, and he's nothing like that. He's, he's not impressive on the outside. Uh, he's not oppressive in his, in his delivery. Uh, and the super apostles are pointing that out. Really? This, this guy doesn't have it. You, you, look how weak Paul is. And here he is writing to the Corinthians... And you think, okay, this is Paul's chance to improve his image a little bit. Uh, but what does Paul actually do throughout 2 Corinthians? But he actually doubles down on that idea of how weak he is. Uh, and, and this passage gives us really two glimpses of that, with an example and then with an image. So first the example, and that's verses 12 and 13. Paul describes how he, how he came to Troas. It's a, it's a city, a port city uh, in Asia Minor. Uh, it's kind of on the other side of the Aegean Sea, Corinth kind of over here and Troas over there. And, and Paul comes to that city in part to preach the gospel, um, but he also comes there because he is expecting to meet Titus there, his fellow worker. Uh, Titus had gone to Corinth uh, and, and gone, and, and Paul wants to hear how it went. Remember, there's this really hard, tearful letter that's been given, and t- Paul doesn't know how they're doing, and and he really wants to hear from Titus how this all made out. So he's there in Troas. He's preaching the gospel. He says that a, a real big door opened for, for his, his, his gospel ministry. Great opportunity. Um, but here's the problem. Titus doesn't show up. He doesn't make it. Uh, and, and, and he says, uh, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. And so he says he he leaves. That he he has to he pulls back from this great gospel opportunity. He pulls back because he's so worried about the Corinthians. He still wants to meet up, meet up with Titus and find how it's going. So part of what Paul is doing here is, is he's communicating his great love and affection for the Corinthians. But he chooses to do it in a really interesting way. Uh, right? You, I mean, imagine putting this on your on your on your ministry resume, right? Work experience. Decided to walk away from a really really great gospel opportunity because I was worried sick about a church. It doesn't it doesn't sound very impressive. It's, it sounds kind of weak, actually. Really, Paul? Okay, then you go to the image. So that's the example. The image really drives it home, and that's verse fourteen. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Uh, always leads us in triumphal procession. Now, the Corinthians would have a very definitive picture in their mind, because in the Roman world, and Corinthian, uh, Corinth was a Roman city, uh, the, the Roman triumph, with its triumph procession, was a very official, very big deal. Uh, and, and kids, here's, here's where your picture comes in. You ready? So draw me a picture, or you can keep it, whatever. Uh, draw a picture of a parade. A really, really big parade. Maybe there's, maybe there's 
there's people on all sides of the street, and it, there's a big parade. But this parade is a little bit different than maybe a parade you've been to. There's no fire trucks or, or marching bands. This is parade. There's, there's chariots uh, and soldiers in the chariots. Out, maybe, maybe there's a, a really big chariot out front, and that one has the general in it. And he's the strongest guy there. Maybe he's got the big sword. And you can draw the parade of chariots, only leave room at the end of the parade. Because I'll tell you in a minute what to draw there. Um, that's what a Roman triumph was. Uh, uh, right? the, the Roman army's been off in the, uh, in the hinterlands, and, and they win this immense victory. And they come back. They come back home uh, in victory, and and there is just this gigantic celebration, the Roman triumph. Uh, A huge party in the city, and the big feature is the the triumphal procession, uh, where to the the great adoration of of huge crowds, there is the victorious army that marches and rides their chariots through the city, leading leading the parade is... Uh, is the is the the victorious general? Uh, if you if you wanted to catch a, a modern equivalent to this, it's it's probably the uh, the victory parade after a, a sports championship. So you know you think you know Eagles won the Super Bowl and what do they do after winning their great victory in the Super Bowl? They come back home and there's a huge celebration parade down Broad Street, and right and there's the victorious. You know, MVP quarterback in the front. He's the victorious general, and everybody cheers. It's great. Um, only there's this other feature of a Roman uh, triumph that's a, it's a little bit different. You see, in the, in the Roman triumphal procession, at the end, you would have the conquered army marching in the parade. You'd have the defeated soldiers, the defeated general uh, walking, you know, in absolute humiliation. They're prisoners of war. They're defeated. Uh, and they, that's the, that's the end of the parade. And so kids, that's, a, that's, that's what you draw at the end of the parade. Uh, you, ju- ju- you draw the defeated army, maybe guys with their heads down, something like this. You know. So you can could, could, you could imagine this scene. You know, if, you, if you go to our, our, our football example, this would be uh, right, eagles down Broad Street, but who comes at the end of the parade but the defeated New England Patriots, right there, right there's 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 the great Tom Brady, uh, defeated with his head down, right? You know, talk about absolute humiliation. That's that's the picture, and that's what happened in a Roman, in a Roman triumph. So Paul paints this picture. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Right? Jesus, he, he is the great conquering hero. Uh, he's the great general who, who conquers, uh, conquers the enemies of sin and death. Uh, Jesus, through his, his work on the cross, his resurrection, takes on sin, takes on uh, darkness, takes on death, conquers them all. Jesus, the conquering general. But what's really surprising is, is where Paul puts himself in the parade. And, and it's, it's, it's right there in the language, and, and people who... Who, who know this better than I do, tell me, you, it's really hard to understand this any other way. But Paul, putting himself, not as a part of the, you know, the victory chariot, but Paul as the defeated soldier. 
that Paul sees himself as the, the, that part of, at the very end, the army that has just been defeated. Paul as weak, conquered, humbled. Of course, you think about it a little bit and you realize, well, that is, that is what God does in his son, doesn't it? Uh, we are those by nature who are enemies of God. We're at war with him because of our sin. Our, our rebellious hearts, we're not on God's side. We, we start off in our sin, uh, right? We're, we're, we're enemies of God. We fight against him. And what does he do in, in bringing us to faith? But he essentially conquers us. He, he captures our hearts. It's a, it's, a, it's a glorious capturing, but, but nonetheless, he, he, he captures us. Uh, and here's Paul. He's, he's viewing himself as one who's been captured by Christ. Only it's not just like the beginning of his Christian life. Now he's picturing himself as this is his ministry. This is where he is as, as gospel servant. He's, he's that humbled, conquered soldier. Um, maybe, maybe you think about Paul's life a little bit. Well, Jesus really did conquer him, didn't he? Uh, there, there was Paul. Remember, remember the old Paul? Saul of Tarsus? Remember, he, was, he was most definitely enemy of Christ, seeking to persecute the church, seeking to defeat uh, the name of Christ. And there was Paul. He was, he was strong. He was capable. He was getting things done. He was throwing Christians in jail left and right. People were listening to him, and he had authority and power. Right? That's, that's how he started on the Damascus River. Remember the road where he's converted? Well, how does he start that little journey? He starts as strong, capable, accomplished individual. Well, how does he end the journey? Very different. Christ, the, the great conquering general, shows up and, and conquers Paul. And, he, and he's humble. He's humbled on the outside, right? Strong, capable Paul now is blind and has to be led by the hand. Uh, and, and humbled on the inside, of course, because the very one he was trying uh, to, to persecute now appears to him in glory. Uh, and so he is humbled completely inside and out. Um, and, and, but then you start to think about it spiritually, as God's getting him ready uh, to, to use him in the kingdom. Uh, right? When Paul starts off on the Damascus Road, right, he, from a worldly perspective, powerful, uh, strong, accomplished, but he's doing nothing of eternal value. Paul, Paul only becomes useful to God when God conquers him, when God humbles him. Now, the Paul led by the hand, the Paul completely humbled, now Paul is useful to the Lord. And here he is in the midst of his ministry. How does he picture himself in, in his ministry to the Corinthians? He says, yeah, there's Christ. He's the victorious general, and I'm, 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 I'm the defeated captive and that means I'm actually useful to the Lord. How does, how does that change our view of the useful Christian life? Because a lot of times, deep down, we, we tend to think of the useful Christian having all those attributes of Paul at the beginning of the Damascus Road. Right? Strong, capable, gifted, everybody listens to him. You know, that's useful. And now here's Paul, he's saying actually just the opposite. Does that change how we think of the useful Christian life? Okay, but Paul wants to connect it to the gospel message as a whole. 
And that's our second point, the character of the gospel message. Here we move into 15 and 16. So the, the back to 14. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are per- being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. So Paul says his, his ministry, his gospel, his preaching is kind of like a smell that emanates and fills a room. He calls it the aroma of Christ, uh, the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus, and that's that's what Paul. That's what God is doing through Paul. This this smell is is emanating from him and, and just filling the air uh, as he goes out into the world. And he says that same aroma. Uh, is received very, very differently. Uh, It smells very, very differently by different people. Uh, To those who are being saved, uh, it smells like life. But to those who are rejecting uh, and and thus perishing, it smells like death. I heard this uh, very interesting uh, and, and sad, really, uh, story about one of one of the, the, the COVID complications that's popped up. Uh, apparently very rare. Um, well, you've heard about the common one, which is that you often lose your sense of taste and smell. Maybe that happened to you if you got, got COVID and you, you, you know, you're eating something that just didn't taste like anything, didn't smell like anything. But apparently, for a very small number of people, uh, COVID actually kind of scrambles up your sensory system so that you smell, but things smell now completely different. And things that, that you knew as before as smelling really good now smell really awful. So like a, a fresh lemon now smells like rotting meat. Uh, actually, they had an interview this, in this one story with this one woman who was talking about how like shampoos and body washes, like they, they smell to her now uh, like, like decaying garbage, like rotting garbage. So the only way she can make it through a shower, she can survive a shower, is by putting a clip on her nose. It's the only way she can do it. Because the smell to her is that bad. So you have this, this, uh, this aroma uh, that, that to you, if you use the same shampoo, you, you go in and it's like, well, this smells invigorating and, and refreshing, and yet to her it smells like death. It's kind of what Paul's saying here about Jesus, right? It's the, it's, it's the same product. It's, it's the same Jesus, only it's received very, very differently, right? The same good news of Jesus, that Jesus came, the Son took on human flesh. He lived that life that we fail to live. Uh, he died to bear all our guilt and, and punishment so that we, in, through faith in him, can be forgiven and have eternal life, and be adopted into his family. That good news of Jesus, and his work on the cross, uh, that same Jesus, to some, it's the aroma of life. right? Because they're, they're receiving it, and embracing Jesus, and it means eternal life, and, and, and changes everything for the good. But that same Jesus, and that same message to others, it's death. Because they, they reject it, and they're confirmed in the spiritual death that they already had. Same Jesus. 
And it's what we read from 1 Corinthians this morning. Paul talking about the cross. Remember these words? Uh, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Right? Same cross, same Jesus. Uh, to some, foolishness, death, but to others, power of God, life. And, and like, in our, like in our COVID example, the problem isn't with the fragrance, right? The, the, the shampoo isn't the problem. As if, you know, if you just you tinker with the formula a little bit, you know, things might be okay. No, no, no. The, the problem is that that poor woman and, and this scrambled up system inside of her, right? She needs to be healed. You don't need to fix the shampoo. You, you want her to be healed. It's the same, it's the same with Christ and the cross. The problem isn't with Jesus or the cross. As if, well, if we just kind of change the formula a little bit. No. The problem isn't with Jesus. It's, it's us who need, we need to be healed. Where we're the ones who have uh, a scrambled up soul. Right? Because of the darkness of our sin, uh, our fallen hearts, even something sweet and beautiful like Christ smells like death because of sin and its darkness in our hearts. And that's where all of us were. Um, the only way someone ever receives Christ is because God heals. Uh, God steps in and unscrambles the soul. So all of a sudden, we, we smell Jesus for who he really is. Um, so it's God's grace. It's not because you're smarter or wiser than the, than the next person. It's God just stepped in and, and healed and fixed things. Right? But, uh, the cry of our hearts is just, have, have mercy on me, uh, a sinner. And so Paul paints this picture of the gospel. You start to see there's some similar themes here. He starts with himself as a gospel servant. Paul doesn't look very impressive. And then he has this the, the, the message that he proclaims, and it's a message that looks really foolish to many people. Uh, and then he concludes by, by talking about some implications for, for service. Gospel service. How does this affect then uh, how we actually seek to, to seek to serve? Whether it's how a church serves, right? You know, think congregational meeting, uh, or how uh, how a pastor or missionary serves, or how an everyday believer seeks to serve others. How does this view of the Christian life and the Christian gospel uh, begin to affect things? Well, Paul gives us two things that I think we could summarize this way. Uh, rest in insufficiency, and spread the word, don't peddle the word. So let's, let's go with rest in insufficiency. Um, what does Paul say to all this? Right, He talks about himself as one who has been conquered, one who, who, uh, who was and continues to be humbled, that, that defeated captive. Uh, and he talks about himself as, as one who's spreading the aroma of Christ. How does he respond? Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Who's, who's equal to it? Who's, who's competent for it? Of course, the implied answer is nobody. Who could honestly say, uh, you know, take on this gospel service. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got this. I can do this. No. No one can honestly say, uh, right, being this, uh, this individual and spreading this good news and having an effect... No one could honestly say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that. I can do that. Which is challenging because that's actually precisely the thing 
we really want to say, our hearts so often want to say in the midst of the Christian life, isn't it? So often we want to be able to say, oh, I got this. I got this. Paul says to the Corinthians, no, no, actually, uh, I don't. I'm not sufficient for these things. Right? The, 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 that's what the super apostles are saying. You know, Paul, he's, he's, not, very, he's not very impressive. Uh, he's not very. He's, he's not very competent. Uh, he's not, not unlike us, of course, right? The super bosses. Yeah, clearly we got it, but not Paul. And and Paul just says, "Yeah, yeah." Uh, how many of us deep down want to be at, at that place in our Christian life where, as we uh, as we serve uh, and as we go about the Christian walk, we, we want to be able to look impressive. Or at least competent. I got this. And, and Paul's response is, who's sufficient for these things? Right? Uh, Paul doesn't defend himself and say, no, actually, you can tell the super apostles, I'm actually pretty good at this. No. He says, he says think about who we are as Christians. Think about what the work really is about. Says, who, who, who actually is sufficient for this? Uh, who, can, who can do this? Um, none of us. None of us. He goes on a few verses later to say, but our sufficiency is from God. Right? It's not, we're insufficient so we won't even try, uh, or, or there's no kind of confidence, uh, just kind of a depression or something, uh, you know, a kind of like give, give up kind of uh, spirit. No, Paul says, no, we actually have sufficiency. It just has nothing to do with us. It has sufficiency from God. Uh, sufficiency from God. And that, that's the call for us, whether it's as a church uh, or as individuals. It's, it's finding our sufficiency, not in ourselves, but, but in God. You know, we, 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 we take those, those gospel opportunities, we take those places where we want to be useful, and we say, Lord, I, I really can't do it. I, I'm really not sufficient. So you're going to have to. And I actually trust that you can. Because uh, you're sufficient, uh, not me. Okay, one more implication. We could say, spread the word, don't peddle the word. Here, looking at verse 17. Uh, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We're not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. So uh, uh, a peddler out there in the marketplace, he's, he's peddling his wares. Uh, right? He's thinking, I want to profit from this. Uh, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to market this uh, to benefit me. How can, I, how, can I, how can I peddle the wares? How can I market uh, this product so that I, at the end of the day, uh, come out ahead? And Paul is warning against... Marketing the gospel, right? Trying to trying to make Jesus look look more appealing. It's it's a really it's a good reminder in our day, because as we as we kind of see the world around us, and it kind of seems like there's there's more hostility to Christ. Christ seems less and less palatable uh, to the culture at large. All right, that it's good to be honest that our, our temptation very well might be, well, what if we could just make Jesus a little more palatable? 
maybe Jesus needs a little different marketing. Uh, and, and Paul says, no. Uh, of course, it grows out of what he just said, because the problem isn't with Jesus or with the cross, as if you just market it a little better, that'll fix things. You know, the, the problem is, 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 is the fall, this fall in humanity. We need, we need to be healed, and actually we should kind of expect uh, that Jesus is going to have the effect for many, oh, that's death. Like Jesus, Paul tells us, expect that. Uh, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Actually, it could mean we're actually somewhat on the right track. Uh, so don't don't market the gospel and try to try to make Jesus a little more a little more palatable because after all, uh, to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's life. All right, God does that work. So we don't need to come up with marketing schemes. Um, Paul says he's he's upright. He's honest with the gospel, sincerity. But I think we can take it a little a little deeper uh, down to that level of motivation, right? What. What motivates uh, someone to, well, even just in the, in the market life, what motivates a peddler to kind of peddle the wares, to, to, to market the product? Well, why are they doing that? What's driving them from within? Well, they're, they're expecting something from it. Right? This is, I, I market it, I get the profit. Right? I benefit. Um, and Paul says, careful, right? Peddling the gospel. Uh, there are certainly words we could worry about uh, that pro- worry about that profit motive. Challenge ourselves about about a profit motive in in serving others in Christ. Uh, now, it could be the profit motive financially speaking. There were definitely people in the ancient world uh, who were motivated by money in terms of in terms of Christian service. We see that today. Yeah, just look on the internet and rich preachers and mansions and airplanes and like it happens. Uh, and it's a good morning to churches big and small. It can't be motivated by, uh, by, by getting rich. That can't be what drives it. Although, actually, I think there's probably a, a more common, maybe even more insidious, uh, profit motive uh, for, for, for Christian service. And that, that's the profit motive of, of pride. Right? The, the super apostles, they... They peddled the word. It seems to be that's what he's implying here. Right? The super apostles, they they peddled the word because it made them look super. That's convenient. Uh, right? You could be the super church. Just kind of do ministry in a certain way where at the end of the day, you, you come out looking a little super. Um, right? Wasn't wasn't that essentially or the convicting quote we read earlier? Uh, I'll, I'll give it to you again. Uh, it's not possible to show yourself brilliant and to show Jesus to be wonderful simultaneously. It's not possible to show yourself brilliant and Jesus wonderful simultaneously. See, so you think about the places where where you hope to be useful uh, in Christ. Where you hope to have a, have an influence, right? As a, as a parent, as a as a friend, as a spouse, uh, as a, as a witness. You think of those kinds of, of, of arenas. Uh, if you're brave enough, ask this hard question. Uh, in that in that space, what ways uh, am I doing that work so that at the end of the day, I look a little brilliant? 
what ways am I going into my family or my workplace or my Christian friendships or ministry opportunities, and I'm doing the work in such a way where it just happens at the end of the day, I look a little brilliant. I look a little super. I look a little good. There's a, there's a challenging question. There's, there's, there's one, you know, is that the one you'd take before the Lord? Lord, would you show me where I'm tempted to even do your work in such a way that it makes me look good and steal your glory? It has us going back to that the, the, previous, the, the previous point. Who's sufficient for these things? Oh, yeah, that's right. It, it's, it's not me. It's not you. Uh, that's not how it was designed. It never was the point. Uh, and that's where life comes from. right? Real life comes not from us exalting ourselves, but us being humbled by the Lord. That's, that's where the true joy and the true life comes from. That's where we actually become useful uh, to the Lord. Uh, our sufficiency is from God. It's not that there's never a, a striving for excellence uh, or striving to, to gain a skill or, or gain understanding so you can be more useful in God's hand. All that stuff is good and important. But it's, it's more the, why are we doing this? And how are we doing it? Uh, if you're doing it so that you, at the, in the midst of things, look a little super in the process, uh, that's, that's where the problem is. Uh, but the gospel is better. Uh, yes, it humbles us. But, but, but real life is found not in trying to, to somehow artificially pump up our own sufficiency. Right? That always fails sooner or later. Uh, sometimes in a huge disaster, sometimes in just discouragement. But, but with sufficiency in the God and the gospel that actually is glorious and powerful and strong, right? that's, that's not only the right thing, that's, that's the safe place. Uh, that's, the, that's the joyful place. Uh, and it's the place where God gets all the glory, which really is the point. And that's good. Well, let's pray here. Father, we do, we thank you that, that you're, you are the glorious one, and, and that your, your very gospel is designed to get at the very heart of of where we struggle and bring us to a, a far more useful and far more beautiful place. Lord, we pray that you would, you would humble us in that, in that beautiful way uh, where we see your glory shine brighter, your love shine stronger, uh, your sufficiency for us and for, for the work you call us to do uh, loom larger. Lord, you know the places where we're tempted. And Lord, put your finger on those places and, and, and show us and, and give us give us trust in you in each of those places, in each of those moments, that you might be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.